Women Taking the Lead, Episode 113. Don't hold yourself back. Because for much of my younger life, I think that I did that so as not to outshine other people or make other people feel diminished. You know what? If you extinguish your light, that really doesn't help them light theirs. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentl.com forward slash recognize to reserve your spot in our upcoming webinar on how to be recognized and rewarded for the work you do. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Lee Gaitan, who is the author of two books, including her most recent one, My Pineapples Went to Houston, Finding the Humor in My Dashed Hopes, Broken Dreams, and Plans Gone Outrageously Awry. Her work has appeared on The Huffington Post, Irma Bombeck, Mother's Always Right, Better After 50, The Good Men Project, and many others. Lee, that's only a little intro for everyone. So tell us more about you and your own humble beginnings. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you for getting the subtitle of my book because I forget it myself sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, is it the dashed broke? Wait, it's the ho- Okay, nothing worked out right. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, it was a horrible adventure, it, a horrible it sounds like. Adventure. <laughs> um, uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Jody. Um, I actually start, I worked all my life as a writer, or I worked in public relations and television and radio as a writer. I hosted and produced um, talk shows on TV and such. And then I thought that I was getting Getting finally to do exactly what I wanted to do. So we're backing up here a little bit with some history. Um, it was 1998, and my first book was published. I was just about to turn 40, and it was a it was a book of humorous essays. I'd done some stand up comedy, and you know, um, I've seen myself naked in a mirror, so obviously I have a sense of humor. <laughs> and so I wrote about um, the horrors, you know, from a funny standpoint, a collection of humorous essays about mid women in midlife. And I thought that this was it. Uh, I was I was married to um, someone for twenty some years and had a daughter, and um, I was promoting my writing career and getting all kinds of promotional opportunities. You know, TV, radio, uh, a lot of freelance writing, etc. And had um, written the book proposal for my second book. And here I think I am on my way, finally getting to write for myself, you know, not a client, not a PR firm, etc. And on Christmas Eve in the year 2002, my husband of 22 years told me he had lost every single penny of our money. And I mean every single, I mean savings, investment, retirement, you name it, cleaned out everything on a business venture that he hadn't told me about. And I was not aware of because my father was dying. So by this point, my father had just died. My mother was in a coma. He tells me he's lost all of our money on Christmas Eve. And P.S. Lee, by the way, I'm leaving you. And I'm moving across the country to live with an old high school girlfriend um, who had five children, had been married and divorced a few times. He used to be a stripper. And by the way, I also ran up about $100,000 in your name. Bye-bye. <laughs> 
boom, Merry Christmas. So um, that was kind of the end of my writing career at, at, at that point because, you know, writing for, and hoping that you're going to make some money down the line was not cutting it. And I mean, I had to sell everything that I owned. I'm talking the gold in my teeth. You know, I may still have a kidney on eBay and um, working, working, working three, four, five jobs at a time for 10 years to dig myself out of that hole and finally get back. So that is the story that the second book is about. Um, So there were a lot of broken dreams and dashed hopes and plans gone, oh, quite outrageously awry. But you know what, Jody? That's just... um, that's just what brought me to this point. That's not where I live and that's not where I want to stay. Um, I got through it. So uh, Merry Christmas to me finally. And that's the real message. The message is you really can make it through some of the most horrific, you know, kinds of experiences. And even as I say that it was very, very difficult. Of course, there was horrible financial stress and um, I had health crises, you name it, everything, my family, Everything uh, was almost destroyed, bruised and battered for sure. But again, you know, other people go through worse things. I kept telling myself, you're not in a war zone. You haven't lost a child. You know, you still have all of your limbs. So um, you're going to have to figure this out and get through it. So that's kind of what brings me to where we are today. Okay, before we move on, let me go get my jaw off the floor. <laughs> I thought I heard that. And then- <laughs> yeah, like, I've been sitting here in front of the microphone with my mouth open like, oh yeah. my yeah. God. Yeah, and you kept your sense of humor, though. Well, Good for you. Yeah. You know, I credit two things. Uh, one was my sense of humor, because I've always had, you know, a, a pretty finely honed sense of humor. Um, And, you know, it was really a test because here I was known as a humor writer, you know, well, gee whiz, (laughs) I'm looking for the funny in this. You have to look pretty hard. But you know what's really um, uh, interesting is that, of course, in the beginning, I mean, people say to me, well, what did you do? Well, you're in shock. You know, you're just absolutely in shock and you're like a zombie. But I really didn't have the luxury of sitting around and trying to process There were so many things on every level to process. I didn't have that time because I was literally going to be out in the street. My big, beautiful home was he had mortgage, like three mortgages he had taken out um, that I didn't know about. So I needed to move quickly. And in the beginning, I really uh, was not laughing a lot. And one day, um, the name of the book, My Pineapples Went to Houston, let me tell you, that comes from what I originally thought was going to be the name of my second book. And the story behind that is when I was on a, a, a book tour for my first book, I was sitting beside this older gentleman, just really delightful Southern gentleman, flying from Miami back to Atlanta early one morning. And we started talking and And he asked me what I was doing, and I told him. And it turns out that he was on his way back from Guatemala. He and his wife had gone there um, to help with recovery efforts after a hurricane. And I was saying, oh, that's so wonderful. And no, no, he he wouldn't hear anything. He said, no, it's just something we wanted to do. 
And everything had gone wrong. Um, you know, his wife was on a different flight. He'd been bumped off of, of two flights by then. And he was telling me the only thing he really wanted was to bring back a crate of fresh pineapples to surprise his wife. So he had figured out all the logistics and made the arrangements. And then all of his plans went awry. And so he said to me in this wonderful drawl, he said, so... I'm on the flight to Atlanta. My wife's back in Miami waiting for a direct flight back to St. Louis. And my pineapples, well, the done went to Houston. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's so perfect for all of us. You know, we plan and plan and plan. And then the stinking pineapples end up going to Houston anyway. So my idea was a book about all the things that go wrong in your life. Again, another humorous book. Well, by the time, you know, all of these uh, unexpected changes came along, that book was shelved. And one day I thought about that and I just started laughing. I thought, oh, my gosh, my pineapples went to Houston. Are you kidding me? They're like in Tierra del Fuego by this point. (laughs) They've gone way past Houston. And I started laughing. And honestly, it was like something clicked or snapped or broke in me or something. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's right. I laugh. I make jokes. Oh, yes, I I know. That's what always helps me. And it was like I felt like I was reclaiming part of myself. And I thought to myself, you know, he can take everything. He'd sort of taken a machete to my life and hacked away everything, my job, my career, my finances, my family, my health, uh, emotional and physical at that point. But you know what? I can still laugh and nobody can take that. And it seems like that was um, a sort of a little turning point. It was very early on. I was really hoping the turning point was, you know, that the lottery would somehow (laughs) be mine the next day without buying a ticket, of course. Um, And that didn't happen. But the humor definitely, definitely helps. And I had a, you know, an endocrinologist tell me, Um, He said, that's why you're still sitting here in front of me instead of six feet under, because Mm -hmm. you found people have to find a way to cope. And so many people don't and they give up or their idea of coping is drinking or drugs or, you know, whether it's prescription drug or something destructive. At which point I told him I did also mainline Diet Coke for about 10 years. (laughs) He said, if that was the worst substance I had abused, it wasn't too bad. So, um you know, the humor, as, as he explained to me, discharges physical stress. It discharges emotional stress. You know, you get the flood of endorphins and all of that, the feel-good brain chemicals. And um, it's, it's a very good skill for developing resiliency. I really think it's important. Now, you know, everybody has different, um, you know, different coping devices, but that is definitely something that was important to me and I think probably pretty important across the board. Well, it goes to the essence of who you are, too. You're like you said, you're a humorist. So when you were able to finally laugh again and see humor, you know, yeah. for me, what what that told me in the story is like you you came back to yourself, uh, like you were lost before. You have really hit the nail on the head, Jody, because um, I, I hadn't even put it into words at the time, but that's exactly what I say in retrospect. It really felt as if I was reclaiming part who I am, you know, who you are at your core, your identity. And um, that was really, really critical for me because you find out when everything is stripped away, 
and I do mean everything, you know, <laughs> material, everything, any kind of material success or possession, um, and even just, you know, familial relationships, any, any, uh, anything is gone, I found out that I still had myself. And I think maybe the, the ability that I have to forge um, and build relationships, to relate to people. And that's really all I had. But maybe that was, that was enough. And maybe that's what I had to learn. But boy, what a stinky way to learn it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, we can't, like you said, we can't plan how we learn these mm-hmm. lessons. They just come at mm-hmm. us. And the only choice we have is how we respond to them. And, you know, goodness, Lee, like you've, you've had success. I mean, it, it came like coming back from a situation like that, that is a success in your life. And, you know, I can hear in your voice, like your humor's back, who you are is back. You've got confidence now, but take us back to another time when you were playing small and you may not have been aware of it at the time. Share with us the story and the lessons you've learned. Um, I will tell you, I was really lost. I really felt um, it's a very desperate, desperate situation when you feel like all because I felt like most of my adult life, um, you know, we had I had moved uh, seven eight times in 15 years to accommodate my ex-husband's career and we had a child and, and um, I was you know really kind of a de facto parent although not not financially you know he was very good about that and I don't want to say that I was a single mother when there are women really struggling to you know to to make the money and take care of everything at home um, and I always managed to either freelance or work part-time or something uh, and and raise her at the same time but I had just gotten to that point back with the first book when you feel like you're on the precipice of really getting, you know, the big thing is going to crack open for you and break open. You've been flirting with it and playing around with it. And things were happening. We were living in Chicago at the time. And the Chicago media was just wonderful to me. I mean, I was on NBC Chicago almost every week or on ABC Chicago and the Chicago Sun-Times. At that time, the Chicago Tribune uh, still um, doing huge stories on me. I thought, okay, I am here here. I've taken care of everyone else. You know, he's settled. My daughter's in high school getting ready for college. It's my turn. And then to have all that disappear and not just to go back to square one, but like to go back 30 years, you know, like when you're first starting out and you don't have any money and you don't have any resources. I mean, I didn't have health insurance. It's a very shameful kind of feeling. I felt like this is just so embarrassing that I am this old and I have absolutely nothing. I have nothing to show for it. And you try to keep up appearances. And what I ended up doing was um, taking a job teaching uh, middle school, teaching English as a second language, because I I did teach adult English as a second language, but that was only part-time, and I needed a full-time job. And this opportunity presented itself, and it wasn't anything I ever wanted to do to teach middle school. It's really hard. A little shout-out for the middle school teachers of the world. These are the unsung heroes. You talk about an age group that's not easy to work with. And it's not the kids' fault. The kids are horrible. Yeah, but they don't mean to be. It's, you know, that time of their life, they're just going crazy between hormones and family issues and the way society is. Um, And I had some real sweet, sweet kids. But it ends up, the one day that I broke Jody. um, 
you know, I had to sell everything I owned. I'm living in and move into this like piece of crap apartment. Like, you know, from maybe you would have lived in with two other girlfriends at, at 21, you know, with your first job or something. And all of my stuff in storage, which I thought was an interesting metaphor because nothing would fit in. I always say, tell people mm-hmm. it was the size of a contact lens case, but not as charming, you know, <laughs> not quite as charming as the contact lens case. So it's like my whole life was in storage, isn't? which I think is an interesting way to put it. And I'm working from seven to nine, teaching this special academic class. Then I'm teaching all day middle schoolers from nine to 4.30. Then I'm driving and teaching from six o'clock to nine o'clock adults. And then some days I'm at three different locations and I'm teaching in a trailer because the, the school was so overcrowded and it would rain and there was mud and you drop your keys and you kept to find your keys in the mud and there was roaches in my trailer. And I just sat at the desk and I just burst into tears. No one was there thinking, I am so far from what my dream was and there's no way. Are you kidding me? I've been telling myself in the back of my mind, oh, I'll get back. I'll get back. I couldn't see any way I could ever reconnect with the path, you know, that that I wanted. I hadn't had time to write a word in 10 years. Um, and I just, I just really lost it that day. And yeah, that's really desperate. And, and on top of it, I was having a lot of health issues. Um, menopause came on early overnight. I gained 30 pounds without any explanation. My hair fell out. My joints swelled up. I developed blinding migraine. I mean, it was like, and, um, maybe those weren't roaches. I was starting to think they were locusts in my trailer. (laughs) You know, it's like, I'm sorry. Did, did I say my name was Job? Did I write that somewhere? No. Yeah. That's when you just... You know, I just wanted to curl up and, and just give up. Um, yeah, that that was not me taking the lead in anything. Well, yeah, you know, Lee, and hearing your story, when I'm hearing it, you were pushing yourself so hard and working in these horrible conditions. It's not surprising that your health oh, was really exactly. suffering. I mean, you keep up that pace. I, one time I had five. I had a, always had a full-time job and anywhere from two to four part-time jobs. And I worked um, every day of the week and from morning, from you know early morning till late night. And then I would have private students and I would teach in workplace um, for people, you know, that had um, a large work population, workforce population that needed to learn English. Uh, it was, and then I had to get certified. So I was in a class five hours a week, one, or five hours, one day a week. And uh, uh. you do that and do that and do that. And no one would have guessed really how horrible and painful to walk. I could, I could barely walk at this. My, my um, joints were so inflamed. Um, and then it all, ca- of course, it catches up with you. You know, it, it takes such a toll on your physical and your emotional and mental health. Um, and I finally just, just about collapsed. Um, and I did, I, you know, got medical help at that point because I couldn't, unfortunately, take a year off. So. <laughs> right, right. But you yeah, it catches up with up. you, definitely. All right, Lee, let's turn turn a corner here. <laughs> now share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake up call, an <laughs> aha moment, right? An aha moment 
Take us back to that moment and share with us the steps you took that led to your success. Okay. I had what I call sort of two little mini aha moments that made me think, okay, maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe I really can, you know, get my mojo back. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know Stella, so I'm not going to get my groove back the way she did, but (laughs) let's see if I can get something. I'll tell you what happened, and it kind of happened out of the blue. Years earlier, I had written a story about my dog, and honestly, I thought it was the most wonderful thing I had ever written. And it could not get, we could not place it for anything. I mean, I could not believe that that we could not sell this story. And, you know, I'd forgotten about it. Well, I was sitting in my office one day, sort of in that, that mode, that crying, you know, bemoaning. Really, I was lying on the floor crying on top of my dog saying, it's, it's all over. It's all done. I'll never be able to do what I wanted to do. Who was I kidding? You know, all of that. And I got an email from a friend. And uh, she's a uh, very big in animal rescue work. And she uh, passed along an email to me about a woman who was writing a book, had a publishing contract, uh, who was writing a book um, with, with um, Simon & Schuster, I think it was, um, about dogs. And sort of like the, the healing power. It was called the divinity of dogs. Like when, you know, you feel you've learned some kind of spiritual truth or you feel like a dog was sent to you. And I'm a big dog person. So I loved that, but I thought, she said, you should, you should write something for this. And I thought, yeah, right. I've been sitting here for an hour and I can't even put two words together. And I was crying and crying. And all of a sudden I thought about that old story. I thought, well, I can't write anymore, but that old story was good. I dug it out of the archives and I sent it to her. And within about 15 minutes, my phone rang. And here it's the author. I, had, I think it was a fax at that time. And she uh, was sitting there when it came through, and she read it, and she said, I read it, and I started laughing. And then I started crying. And before the end, I called my husband and said, get up here and listen to this. Am I crazy, or is this fabulous? And she said, I just had to call you in person and tell you what a wonderful writer you are, and, and you will absolutely be in this book. And you know, even Simon & Schuster's editors didn't change one word of my story. And Jody, it was like that. Oh, to re- to have that kind of affirmation that I hadn't had in like 10 years. And you start thinking, maybe I made the whole thing up, you know, <laughs> maybe I really can't right. write anything. That kind of rekindled it. And then another little thing happened. I was doing this impromptu marketing session at a staff development thing for teachers. And the keynote speaker, I did not realize was the keynote speaker, was sitting in the audience and he sought me out at the break and said, is there a reason you're not doing this professionally? And of course, I had no time to explain. Oh, my life was taken from me. You know? <laughs> and he talked me into doing this, getting back into speaking and working with this group, this working group that he had going. And little by little, every time I connected with those people, with like-minded people, you know, creatives and excited and on fire with dreams and goals and step-by-step plans, how to get you there, it was like I came all the way back to life. And that was it. I started writing and I wrote every minute of every you know, weekend, middle of the night, whatever, and fin- and wrote the second book. And that kind of relaunched me back in this, um, you know, in this arena. So um, it was just, you know, little trickles at first, but eventually it built back. 
and then connected from there can just connecting with a bunch of other people who are so gracious and so helpful. Um, I really find that people are very generous with guidance and help and support. You know, if you return the favor, you can't just be taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't have anything left to give. And they're like, are you kidding me? You're like the best cheerleader on earth. I can't do a cartwheel, but um, <laughs> I can clap. But, you know, the big, big, big lesson in this, I was at the speaking group. And um, I was, you know, telling the story and they're laughing and they're crying and blah, blah, blah. And at the end, I said to them, but you guys, I don't think there's a big takeaway lesson from my story. I mean, it just seems like a bunch of crappy experiences strung together. I mean, what's the takeaway for people? Don't marry this guy. Don't marry. I mean, that's not that good a lesson. And maybe he's better now. I don't know. Um, And one of the guys in the group, just a really cool guy named Dan, um, and he had an amazing story. Um, He was one of five children, one of the only ones who didn't end up dead or in jail. And he had become, he was the pastor of a large church in Tennessee. He and his wife were ballroom dancers. He was just awesome. And he said, Lee, do you not get it? You have learned the power of enough. And I said, oh, yeah. Okay, what is that? <laughs> I learned it. And he said, what got, he just started pinning me down. Why didn't you give up here? Why didn't you give up there? And finally, what I started spouting back to him was that no matter how bad things got, even on those days when, you know, I was really, really, really at the end of my rope, the big save never came, Jody. Superman never came down, turned back the hands of time for me. You know, the winning lottery ticket didn't fall in my lap. None of that happened. But I would get little bits and pieces of what I now call enough, something that got me through, sometimes just from one minute, you know, to the next minute. I'll just give you two quick examples. One time I was cr- sitting in my car. It had broken down for the 400, you know, 10 millionth time, if that's a number. And my niece was getting married. I was going to miss her wedding. I'm sitting there crying. I don't have any money. I've used up all my AAA calls. And I said, well, I don't know why the whole world is against me and God hates me and blah, blah, blah. And I looked up. And I'm not kidding you, there was sky writing, sky writing that said, God loves you. And I thought, that's really nice. Could you say it with cash, Lord? Because <laughs> just a thought. You know, one other time, um, I was in a similar kind of situation of desperation and just crying, saying, I'll never get my life back. I will never get my life back. There's no way. I'm nobody. I'm lost. I'm such a nothing now. You know, who wants to hear from me? I have nothing to say. And I looked up from crying as the only truck on the highway, the only truck on a four-lane highway went by. I was in the McDonald's parking lot. And on the side of the truck, it said, full circle restoration is coming to you soon. I found out later it was the furniture refinishing company, but that just, you know, that really resonated with me because in my former life, I had written a lot about restoration. So that really meant something to me. So it was just little things like that. Um, and and I say, you know, you, you got to forget about the big rescue and you have to learn to appreciate every small drop of mercy that comes your way and to be grateful it's hard to cultivate gratitude in those situations, but you need to because I really think that that's sort of the magical 
the miraculous lens that when you look at even these tiny drops of mercy through the lens of gratitude, somehow they're magnified until they cover the need, no matter how big the need is. And it's really kind of amazing how that works. And Dan put it like that to me. I thought, you're absolutely right. That's that's what got me through. Um, so that's kind of kind of how I got back to to where I'm trying to get anyway. <laughs> At least mm-hmm. I'm on the way to there. <laughs> you are on the way. And actually, that's a really good segue because this this says a lot about how you lead yourself. Um, I'm always curious about how each of my guests would describe their own leadership style, right? There, there are certain commonalities, like good, good leaders have to be good listeners. They have to build relationships. But there are certain things that all leaders do just a little bit differently based on their life experience, their personality style, their strengths. So Lee, how would you describe your leadership style? I think, you know, when you do those personality profiles, like that disc profile, boy, they nailed me on that. I used to poo-poo those things, but man, it's really accurate. (laughs) Um, I think I really tend to lead, uh, I'm a very big on consensus building very much. And I think um, I'm very good at forge. I really uh, lead from a point of relationship, of relational, of relating to people and um, always empowering other people. And definitely, definitely, I never take anything or anyone on my team or whether they're working for me, with me, or I'm reaching out to them um, and trying to build a team. I never take one thing for granted. And I really try to impress that upon um, people that I'm working with, that that's what I bring. If you know, if you're going to be negative and not that you can't be critical as far as like, I mean, not critical in a negative way, but, you know, really assessing something critically and seeing right. what needs to change, what's working, what's not working, what we can tweak or fix. Um, I'm not going to work well in a, in a negative environment. And when it's really, you know, we're in bad situations, that's when the humor really, really has been helpful to me for breaking tension, for bringing people around, for, um, you know, warming people up. So I think that pretty much sums up who I am. Um, and boy, you just can't, I just can't even impress upon you how important it is to make other people feel appreciated. That people really do want to give and really do want to help. Um, I think you have to ask in a way that shows you appreciate their expertise, that you're not trying to get something from them, but you are, um, you know, so appreciative of what they're able to do and that you're struggling to do. Is there a way you can help me out with this? And this is going to sound really stupid, but honestly, sometimes I'm so overwhelmed when people, um, you know, offer to do something or some, do it without asking. They they saw you somewhere or they followed you, you know, not followed you, like stalking you, I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, on a post or something. And they say, oh, I want to share this with my group. I almost burst into tears. And I'm like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I'm thinking back 10 years ago, sitting in that trailer crying with the mud and the bugs and, the, you know, not where I wanted to be. And I think, oh, my gosh, thank you so, so, so much. I do not take anything for granted. That's awesome. And, you know, because you survived a crisis, unfortunately, that's not a guarantee that other things aren't going to come at you. (laughs) 
Oh, you know, right. Really you know, sticks. the story never ends, <laughs> you know, like life is really what you, what you make of it. Right. And so you, yes, you know, I have no doubt, Lee, you'll, you'll find a new pinnacle of success and there will be challenges along the way and there'll be challenges after, you know, absolutely. But actually that's another great segue. Cause I want to hear about what you're working on right now that you're really excited about. Okay. I'm working on a couple of things. Um, Actually, there is a new anthology that just came out about a week and a half, maybe 10 days ago, and I have a story in there. I was really, really um, honored to be asked, asked to be part of this. It's called Feisty After 45, and it is 45 of the best blogs on the internet written by women 45 and over. And so I am one of the people in there, and it was um, a number one Amazon bestseller the first day it came out, and I think it's holding its own. It's like number five in one category and number 15 in something else, so I'm very pleased about that. Um, I'm also being featured um, on a wonderful website called Next Act for Women, and I am going to be um, featured on there in the near future. I just uh, I've just been working with her, and she's putting that together. So those are things that I'm excited about. I'm also working with a wonderful woman named Kimberly Montgomery, who, if you have not gotten her yearly planner, it's called the Connections Note or I'm not Connections Choices Notebook, um, is wonderful. It just came out uh, for this year, and she's working on um, a new book. And I've submitted some material uh, to her. I hope that my essay gets chosen for that. But I've also recorded um, some videos that she's going to be using in a webinar that she's putting together to help women who are facing a very unexpected, difficult transition in their lives and and how to get over it. So that's what's going on with that. I'm also um, doing a little mini relaunch of of the Pineapples book and trying to do it, you know, with all this uh, new information that I know now here in this this 21st century stuff, you crazy kids, <laughs> with all the social media platforms and how to launch a book. So we're doing a little mini relaunch because I am giving away a free book called Light Wines, W-H-I-N-E-S, Light Wines and Laughter, which is a collection of humorous um, essays and blog posts that I've done. You will get that free um, if you download or buy my book during the promotional period, which is coming up in April. And then, Jody. I got to get my butt back in the chair and my fingers back on the keyboard and start working on the next book. There you are. Plenty to keep you busy right now, Lee. That's for sure. All right, Lee, we're moving into the quick leadership roundup. So tell us, what is one practice you have that helps to make you a better leader? Um, I think that it is being able to honestly assess myself and take inventory of what my strengths I when I was younger I used to think that if I wasn't good in something that was a weak you know a weakness or I needed to be good in that or um, I had to learn how to do everything and I have since given that up um, I have learned how to really um, outsource things I my time is better spent focusing on what my core strengths are and I think that is writing speaking and relating to people and team building and I will lean on anybody else I can so I have a I'm very good at sizing up you know where people fit in um, and the pieces that I need and putting those pieces together so I think that's something that has helped me a lot and taken some of the burden off of me um, even just as far as how I think about myself you know, that I don't think that different is does not mean less than, you know, we all have different 
abilities and skills and qualities. And it doesn't mean if you don't have one thing or the other that you're less than the other person that has that. You know, we we really need each other. What is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? This is not really a leadership book, (laughs) but I always think of it in terms of how you think about yourself. So a book that, this is an old, old, old book, but one that I um, go back to, I don't know if you know who Louise Hay and Hay House publishers, that Mm -hmm. old Louise Hay book, You You Can Heal Your Life. Now she was, you know, there were physical issues there. But I think you can't really lead someone else until you are pretty feeling whole yourself. So I think it always, you know, I'm very big on introspection and looking looking at myself so, um, before I start telling, trying to pull other people along because maybe I'm pulling them off a cliff. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, you know, that's really, I always go back to something like that. I love philosophy, it. Which is mm-hmm. not really a traditional kind of leadership book. Um, and there are lots of, you know, lots of, um, of, of good leadership books and people and gurus out there. But I think it's even more personal than that for me. No, absolutely. I actually was just talking about this with my last guest, Margaret Hassanak Kelsey. I think you two would get along pretty great. Cool. And we were talking about how, you know, in any endeavor, the one of the first things you need to do is focus on your own self-care mm-hmm. and take care of yourself mm-hmm. because if you're not, you won't be able to make it to the finish line. You won't be able to lead. You won't be able to, you know, do something new. So I... So I think this book is a that, that book. you know old saying I don't know who said it first but you see it a lot I think I just saw it today on Facebook with another picture um, you know that you can't pour from an empty cup no. you can, and you can't but you know as women especially we're so still you know I know this is 2016 but still so conditioned to serve and that's wonderful you know it, I mean servant leadership I think is a wonderful model. But we can't take ourselves out of that equation (laughs) and that we have to, you know, take care of ourselves. As you said, how, you know, how can you care for someone else or how can you lead someone else when they look at you and you're falling apart? I would not entrust myself as a client, you know, whether it's a coaching client or a business, you know, with my business or to come up with a marketing strategy or anything. um, I would not entrust that to someone if I looked at them and they looked like they were completely disorganized and falling apart. And no, they couldn't take care of themselves. How in the world would they be able to take care of my needs? So I think, you know, it's still hard for us to do that, um, but we have to do that. We have to do that. And Lee, if you could sum it up in one or two sentences, what advice would you give your younger self? <sighs> oh, okay. Well, don't necessarily get married. Um, <laughs> I would say um, keep your own checking account. No, uh, no, really. Um, I w- here's what someone gave me one of those challenges: four words. You know, put it in four words, and this would be my four words. Don't hold yourself back because for much of my younger life, I think that I did that so as not to outshine other people or make other people feel diminished. You know what? If you extinguish your light, that really doesn't help them light theirs. (laughs) 
<laughs> really, mm-hmm. you can only light another light if you're lit. You know, it's just the whole uh, hiding your light under a bushel. But I, I did that a lot. And um, that's not really uh, good. That's not a, that's not a good way to go through life. I don't mean that you're in people's face and me, me, you know, a narcissistic kind of thing. But don't hold yourself back. You are here to shine, to light the way for other people. And other people are here to light the way for you in a way that you can't see, you know, to illuminate a darkness that um, that you have. Um, so, you know, don't hold yourself back, especially, especially we need to tell that to our girls. And I really, that was a good thing about teaching middle school, that I really had a lot of good talks with, with my girls. Um, you know, I'd see them kind of, um, downplaying themselves in front of some little boy. You know, this, at 11 years old, they're already starting that. Um, but these girls are pretty, these girls, they're not over 45. They're well under 45. But I'd say this generation coming up was pretty feisty. <laughs> Feistier <laughs> than I was. <laughs> and Lee, share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. You know, this is going to sound really corny because of the story that I told you, but um, it really is about full circle and restoration. The word restoration just resonates with me. And I used to write a lot. I did a program at a seminary, not not as an ordained person, but a lay seminary program. And um, that was my topic that I wrote about restoration. And as a teacher, as a, as a language arts person and an English teaching person, I talk a lot about Um, word parts. And, you know, re means again. And it's really easy to have a second chance because if you didn't like what you wrote, rewrite it. If you don't like the way, you know, your life is going, reroute it. And re in restoration, I love that because the word isn't storation, it's restoration, which means it's presupposed that we're going to fall down. And we're going to fall apart and things are not going to go right, but you can be restored. So um, to me, I really like the idea of restoration and I really like the T.S. Eliot quote about, um, you know, come starting uh, the ending is where you started from, only you know the thing a different um, in a different way. So many times we're repeating cycles or repeating even the same situations in our life, but we see it from a whole different perspective. So maybe life is really just more spiraling. It's more spirals than it is a straight line. And Lee, lastly, what is the best way for this community to connect with you? Ah, okay. Um, my website is um, LeeGaitan.com. It's G-A-I-T like Tom, A-N like Nancy, LeeGaitan.com. My blog, the Bounce Back blog is part of my website. So if you go there, you will find it there. And there are all kinds of ways to connect with me, uh, you know, through my website. And I have a Facebook page for my book, which is My Pineapples Went to Houston, you know, Facebook.com slash My Pineapples Went to Houston. And on Twitter, I am LG Pineapple. How about that? Yeah. (laughs) And for those of you who are out for a run or in the shower or driving to work, don't worry because all of these awesome links and resources that Lee shared in this episode are at womentakingthelead.com. And Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Oh, Jody, thank you so much for having me. You are doing the awesome thing. And that is bringing all kinds of women to the fore here to encourage other women to do do the same thing. You're taking the lead, girl. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Are you ready to take the lead in your own life? 
head over to womentl.com forward slash recognized to reserve your spot in my upcoming webinar on how to be recognized and rewarded for the work that you do. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining with me. And here's to your success.